Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodak. I'm here with Ash Beckham. Ash, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Josh. How are you? I'm very good. Glad to have you here. And I'm going to jump in and read your bio for people who don't know you yet. So Ash Beckham is a bold dynamic presenter who speaks about empathy, respect, and the power of having real conversations. Online videos of her TEDx talks, coming out of your closet, and owning your duality, and her Boulder Ignite speech, I am so gay, in big letters, have gone viral with more than 15 million YouTube views. And I'm happy... Mine, I'm, I'm at a third of a million. I'm so happy that I'm like, when I crossed 100,000, and I'm not even in the ballpark for you, with great reason why there's so many people, so many times watched. Anyway, to finish it out, Ash reaches people every day as her inspiring speeches are experienced in classrooms, boardrooms, and auditoriums around the world. And now I jumped to look you up, and I saw a list of places where you'd spoken, and I, I got to call out a couple. The CIA... I know that one was amazing. It was so fun. I was like a kid in a candy store going around that place. We got the tour and then they did a TEDx style event, obviously that they didn't record and put out there, but it was, it was for their employees and it was just me. I was, it was amazing. Okay. We have to come back to that in a second then. Harvard and, and then a couple of these, um, kind of CIA like Lockheed Martin and Boeing and. But maybe we should start with a little bit more of your background, because it seems you describe yourself as an accidental. And it, it seems like you stumbled. Like, did you have an experience of like, look, I'm just telling people about my situation and it really resonates? Yeah, I think what resonated with me or kind of when it started, I was a serial entrepreneur and that was, both my parents did that. And I swore up and down I was never going to do that. But then the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. And so that was my comfort zone. And so I was doing that. But as anybody knows, that requires a fair amount of hustle. And so I just hadn't had a lot of space for creativity. You know, I was trying to make this kind of non-traditional employment thing work and finally settled into a, to a routine that seems sustainable. And I was like, oh, I, I feel like I just need to do something creative. And so my, I, I, there was an event in Boulder called Ignite Boulder and I went in the, and if you're familiar with the Ignite format, it's a five minute presentations. Exactly. They time your slides. They auto advance every 15 seconds. So their tagline is enlighten us, but make it quick. And if you're a curious person, which I assume you are as well, I can listen to anything for five minutes. Like it's more about the passion the person has than what the topic is. Cause I'll listen to anybody ramble if, if they're, they don't even have to be good at speaking as long as they're engaging, right? And so the second guy that spoke was just a guy in Boulder, and he was speaking about his ups and downs with weight loss. And A, like in Boulder, nobody talks about that. B, men never talk about that. And he was just this really funny, authentic, kind of self-deprecating guy. And the feeling that he evoked in me and in the whole audience I was like, that, that's what I want to do. I want to make people feel that. I want to help them see something they've never seen and know what it feels like to experience something maybe they've never experienced. And so that was the impetus. So they do it like about every six months. And so the next time it came up, I you know, had one of those like accountability things. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to apply. But I knew, I, you know, I was going to have to speak about something that I was passionate about. But I also live, Boulder's a super liberal place. So like marriage equality wasn't really something that was like a debatable topic. So then I kind of moved on to this idea of using the word gay as a pejorative. And so that was just a really honest, straightforward talk about something that was I was passionate about with, with a little bit of humor, but then also reality sprinkled in and just maybe hoping people saw things a little bit differently. And I was super fortunate and that caught some traction online. And then the speaking community in Boulder is small as it was time for Ted then later that fall. And they do a double blind, so they didn't know me, but 
the topic kind of like outed me, for lack of a better word. So went back, uh, went went through that process and, and was selected. And then that one really caught that traction of finding that universal truth. And and then it was so I was on my way. So the beginning, like when I went to the, spoke at Harvard, I was, it was this very, oh, shucks, I'm a expert perspective. And then after a while, that was the accidental advocate piece. But then after a while, people had, there was this like the expectation of, you know, you actually are an expert like this. Oh, golly, not me. Anybody can do it. That fell flat after a while. And so then it was like, okay, let's get honest. Let's get authentic. Let's, you know, I need to start sharing my story and giving, and much like you do on the podcast, people needed action items. Like you can tell a great story, but if people don't have something they can do on the other end of it, if they can't do something with it, then it ends at a good story. It's it's an inspirational part of it of you're doing the runner, not the runner, but the uh, multiple startups. And I think most people think of performing on stage as less secure and more running around, but it sounds like it resonated with you. Now, as someone who is trying to develop this myself and hope that others, there's many ways you can go with public being on stage and talking to an audience. It could be leadership. It could be inspiration. And did you have a background in singing or, or performing or? No, always certainly any of, any, I think any of my friends would debate that. I'd be the one that would like hold court at the bar and tell the stories and, and all the things. But it's that self-reflection, right? And I feel like you, when you have this perspective of observing your life and the challenges you face, like a, a little bit farther away, taking that step back, A, I think it's a lot easier to find the humor in it, especially in the things that are challenging. And B, there's that loneliness that comes, I think, from personal struggle or personal development or personal growth. And when you can step back and look at it and and share that, like you can't blame somebody for not knowing what it's like to experience what you experience if, if they've never experienced it. But when you share the stories, then they know. I think it empowers people to be allies and it broadens their their perspective. And so that I was doing that for I just kind of always done that, just like an observer of life, but I think always wanting to see myself as, as the hero and then really realizing that the thing that resonated with people, what we want from our role models isn't perfection. We want reality, right? We want to know what happens. If you don't, if you don't have a chink in your armor, I'm not trusting you that you're being authentic, telling me actually who you are. Like I've never met an interesting person with an easy life. And so when we can share those stories with each other and, and share them on a, a broader scale or a small scale, I think that really um, just fosters that human connection. And also then like in the extension of this with LGBTQ issues and anything that's divisive, when we have that content, when we have that connection and that empathy and, and somebody's willingness to be vulnerable and share their stories, it becomes really hard to villainize them, I think. And, and so I think that's where we all come to a, a better understanding. Yeah. The word that, comes to mind while I was watching them, and but I didn't see in your bio is, is vulnerability. And I would have been scared to say, just open up to the same extent. And maybe that's why I liked it so much was that like the, first, the one I saw first was coming out of your closet. And so I'm a straight white male. I happen to live in Greenwich Village. There's plenty of rainbow flags around here. Sure. And I felt like, yeah, this is, I do have things that I want to share and I don't share. And that, yeah, I guess it felt like the vulnerability was so human that you're, it, you were talking about your particulars, but I felt like, yeah, everyone. And I started thinking, who else? Everyone else has their thing. Yeah. Everybody's got, I feel like that's something that has just been underscored to me, even in the pandemic, 
I think only because we we have such a everybody is a little bit tightened in the vice a little bit, but everybody's got their stuff. Everybody's got something. You know what I mean? Like you just do whether we see it or we don't see it, whether it's outward or inward. Like everybody has stuff, and if we just take a moment to see people as humans, not colleagues, peers, adversaries, whatever, like any of the other words that we tag on people, but just as other humans going through things, because I can't think of a time, although we've all gone through it in varying degrees in the last two years, like everybody went through it. We all went through it in some capacity. And so there's that universality, I think, that allows us to to have time for that connection. And like, really, does it matter if you have something that you're hiding that you want to share and you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach that when you say that thing or share that thing or share that vulnerability that someone is going to judge you or it's going to undercut a relationship that was that you've had established and you're telling them something new, like, does it really matter what you're telling them, what that feels like? And so then and you can then have conversations with yourself about, wow, if the stakes were so much higher that right, you can get there. But if I can if we can sit there and say, yeah, yeah, yeah you know what that feels like? It's right here. Then we can start to have real conversations. What I try to do on this podcast and in life, I hope, is to communicate support and non-judgment so that people can feel comfortable sharing things that might otherwise make them feel vulnerable. It's And one-on-one, I hope I, I have a lot of friends who make me feel that way and who, who do that with me and I value them. So I want someone to open up with. Now to open up with the public, there's billions of people. Uh, maybe you're, you've only reached 15 million. <laughs> there's, there's lots of people that don't you don't know if they're going to be supportive and non-judgmental and i would guess that you've gotten a lot of people coming back to you and saying you enabled me to say things that i've always wanted to say and haven't or you enabled me to allow other people to say those things to me i would guess you'd also have people who came back and said that's dumb or something like yeah for sure and it's like any of us right i know everybody if you find yourself in a role of service i guess for lack of a better word you know what I mean? Like I have something that I think is important and I think it will be beneficial for people to hear. Like or the same thing that you were saying about you have people that you want to open up at uh, creating a safe space, whatever that, whatever that service part of you is there. there I stopped reading the YouTube comments a long time ago, but I think you get to the point where I would look at it and be like, oh, there's 500 thumbs down. It didn't matter how many views. It didn't matter how many, po- like you go to the negatives and you're just like, oh, those people, if, if they could just talk to me, I could change their mind. Like it, it becomes very personal. And then, and I think I just had to, for my own mental health, just check out of that and not, and it's hard. I think same thing you experienced too, right? Like it's when it's, when you're talking about vulnerability and you are your brand, there's no buffer, right? If I make granola bars and people don't like the way they taste, like even if I name them Ashes granola bars, they don't dislike me. They just dislike my granola bars. But if my message doesn't resonate or it's not inclusive enough or whatever version of it's not great, it is. Like there was an article written that was said that said by an, another lesbian that said that talk, do you know that talk by the lesbian that everybody loved? Well, I hated it. <laughs> That was the that was the title of the article. And so then there's this, my friends are incredibly protective. And I feel like the hackles raise a little bit, but you're just like, okay. Like I don't, my vulnerability and my willingness to share isn't predicated on making everyone happy. Cause I think that's an impossibility. Then we just don't share. We have to like, we're always open, of course, to feedback. Like again, 
somebody asked me recently if I would have changed the talk, their statement was like, it feels timeless. Like those things are still happening 10 years ago. We live in a much more divisive culture than we did 10 years ago, but some of those things are timeless. Would you change anything? And my response was, I wish it was more inclusive. I wish I broadened my scope of what it meant to be inclusive. Like I made it as inclusive as I could from the lens that I had, but I wish I would, it would have been broader. So like, we're always learning. We're always growing. We're always looking at, okay, if I did it again and I know what I know now, like I inevitably know more than I did 10 years ago. Right. And so how would I do it differently? And for me, not how would I do it differently? So there were more views. How would I do it more? How would I do it differently? So I, I felt more authentic today and, and have the vision of it being a little bit more timeless. But at the same time, I think we have to think about when, how we can be better, but also in, in the moment, like we do it because we do it. The, the guy that inspired me to do my talk, which I've you know been lucky enough to have a lot of people see, has like maybe some, when I first looked at it year, years ago, it was like 75 views, right? Like the pizza guy, 75 views. And I just wanted to be like, Dude, you just like literally change my life and ten, it's like the ripple effect and tangentially change the life of people that I have touched because I saw one guy in one moment do one thing. And so I think when you're doing the calculation on making it a career, maybe the calculation's a little bit different, but the reason that you do it isn't for the numbers, it's for the real impact that you can actually have on people. And if you can change one person's life, one person's mentality, one person's behavior, then that's it. You, you save one kid, change one thing. Like that's, you're making a difference in that way. And, and I don't think you can calculate that. Do you get a lot of those comments back? Or not comments, YouTube comments, but do people contact you and tell you the effect? Oh, they do. Yeah. I didn't see it that way. That's not how I perspect. I didn't feel like it, a lot of times it's like, I wanted to come out and I sent your video to my family so they could understand it, give themselves a little bit of a distance there. Yeah, there's a fair, yeah, there's a fair amount. There was one really early. And again, I, somebody sent this to me and told me that it happened. And, and it was this kid and he was a high school kid and was like, I was not in a good place. And somebody sent me your video. And if I hadn't watched it, I wouldn't have been there tomorrow. And you're just like, like the weight of that is so tremendous. And so I, I think, yeah, I think you get it. I get a fair amount of people that reach out just because in the same way, like to feel some, a topic, LGBTQ, marginalized communities, like anything in that realm, I think is often, here's how you do the right thing. Here's how you're politically correct. Don't screw it up. Don't say it wrong. There's 56 genders. Now there's 58. There's 62. Did you get those last seven? Like it's just like constantly evolving and nobody's a monolith. Well, how I want to be referred to and how my wife wants to be referred could be completely different things. And we're married let alone like people that are of different ages, different ethnicities, like however, like we're all different. And so it takes a lot of work to get in there and do that work, I think. So finding that space of commonality, I think is super critical in that connection and people feeling like, A, this can be funny and B, like, just like exhale a little bit and let's just take one step at a time and just get a little bit better. Let's just be a little bit more empathetic a little bit more vulnerable. And that's what moves the needle. Not this like drastic life change, but, but the little things. One of the things that resonated with me is in readers of my blog will know that I write sometimes of the, the chip I have on my shoulders. A lot of times I talk about living sustainably and I avoid packaged food. I get stuff from the farmer's market. And 
I, I consistently get this remark of various forms of, you don't know what it's like to be a single mom in a food desert with three kids and three jobs. And she doesn't have time or money to do all these things that you do. And no one has ever said, hey, Josh, is your life, does it, is it hard for you? It's just, I think, take it for granted. And so I'm watching your thing. I'm like, man, I, I want to be as open as that. And because I think that there's, I think that they're probably, if the same thing's happening all the time, I think it's probably my not being open enough. There's something, I, I feel like I'm the common element here. I'm, I'm not showing my vulnerability or I'm not showing something that, so people see, sure, I'm a straight white male in, in today's world. That generally means, oh, life is a bit easier for him. But I think there's probably something more to it than that, that I'm, I'm probably not opening up about or not. I'm not sure. Well, what I think, whatever is challenging for you, and I think that's the last time we find ourselves in these roles of leadership or as a role model, and we don't want to bring up the shortcoming. You don't want to bring up the time that you made a you you made a decision counter the way you always made it because of convenience or whatever that that reason is i think acknowledging the privilege that we have but then also still sharing our story is important because it isn't like your ability to be sustainable and a single mom of three and a food desert's ability is all subjective like yes we're moving in the same direction but their starting point and your starting point are probably different, but what if both of you made one decision today in favor of sustainability, right? It doesn't, to me, that's what moves the needle. Yeah, absolutely. If we all had the ability to do all these things, if there were farmer's markets within walking distance of all the things I think that would make that huge change. But if you're individually doing something different and so is the person actually in the person actually in your mind, it's that collective action of those small impactful things because it's changing for that single mom. It's changing not only the way she impacts the world, but also what her kids see and what they then value in impacting the world. I think you always have to think of what that ripple effect is. Your sister sees, what your neighbor sees. There's just, there's something there that you do what you can, no less, but it's you don't have to do more than you can in that moment either. And to me also, it's what effect am I going to have? Every dollar that I spend at uh, Trader Joe's, which I think of, uh, let's take something more, uh, McDonald's. Every dollar spent at McDonald's brings more McDonald's into neighborhoods. They're, they're just extracting wealth. Farmers markets don't extract wealth. They keep it in the community to the extent that you're near the farm. Whereas McDonald's is not doing anyone any favors. McDonald's is trying to take money. To me, I look at that as like a cheap liquor store, payday loan store. And so the more I shop at a farmer's market, the more farmer's markets will get into the food deserts. Mm -hmm. Am I, are they suggesting that I not? I think there's a bit of defensiveness on their part that if they're not doing, if, they're, if they are shopping at Whole Foods or someplace that's, I think of as extractive as well, then maybe they feel like, oh, I, I could do something different and I'm not. And so maybe I want to say that I can't. And I think it's, I think there's a piece of it that's convenience, certainly for some people in some communities. And the other, it's just a lot, it's a lack of resources that, that allow them to do that. But I, I also think that it's that they, you don't throw your arms up because there's not a Trader Joe's or a farmer's market in the neighborhood. You like, let's figure it out collectively. Like, how can we collectively? solve that problem or what's the one thing you can do with the options that you have you know what i mean for i feel like for a lot of people 
I think the argument potentially could be McDonald's might be extracting wealth, but they are paying people that live in the community and there aren't a lot of jobs that exist, right? So it could be, I think there's varying degrees of it. And I think depending on wealth and experience and understanding of impacts, we make different calculations, but I think we can all always make, we can always up-level slightly. So you expect the person in the food desert on a limited income to necessarily make the same choices that you do. We just want them to make better choices, the best choices that are available and push for new and alternative choices. So I think when people write in and, and say things like that to you, I think you're right. I think there's a piece of it that's defensiveness. And also, I think there's this kind of hopelessness of I can't do that. So therefore, I can't do anything. And I think what you try to get to so often is no, but you can do something, right? Like you, you can't, you can do something. I think part of the appeal of your talk is that you're getting to psychology, how people feel and protecting. If people are like me, I spent the farmer's market. I didn't shop at the farmer's market for a long time because I'd walk in and I couldn't tell kale from spinach. I, I'm like, I don't know what these things are. And I was embarrassed and scared. I'm not scared like someone's going to hurt me, but scared like I would look foolish. Like I didn't know how to start. As it turned out, eventually I learned. And I think people protect, I think a lot of us are, we're protecting looking, feeling guilty or shame or help, helplessness, hopelessness. Oh yeah. I think that's so often why people like in any allyship role, like I don't, I, people are reluctant to, often white people are reluctant to speak out about race. Straight people are reluctant to speak about LGBTQ issues because you're compassionate and liberal, for lack of a better word, enough that you care, but you think that will be, you'll get a mark against you if you say the wrong thing. If you don't say it in the way that's now currently in this woke world, the right way to say it. And I think that like paralysis by politeness or, but but I feel like that's the important part is like in activism, in allyship, isn't it like, we got to get over ourselves. Like you might screw it up. You know how you don't screw it up a second time? Screw it up the first time, right? Like you make the mistake in the same way that you learned kale and spinach and all the other things with some of these, some of the designations on, on goods we buy at the grocery store now. Like you, you can't know, you have to look into it a little bit to understand, but like you, we don't expect people to know. I think that's why you have people that are in these communities, people that are leaders that have to be willing to be a resource. Like it is almost impossible for somebody who's asking me a question about LGBTQ things or activism or anything like that, or even a personal question, how my wife and I conceived a child, like it is really hard to offend me. If I trust that your intentions are good. If I trust that you're just trying to gain more knowledge. If I trust that there is an ignorance because you just don't know, but you want to know more. You, I feel like we have to be able to bend. I always think of like skiing or you, you have to bend your knees. We don't walk with, you have to absorb the shocks and be resilient enough because we need in the same way with the environment and the same way with allyship, we need more people on the bandwagon. So putting up barriers because people doesn't, they don't do it right or they're not as developed as we are in that way is just ludicrous to me because we've all been on this journey of learning. So like, we have to encourage more people. The only way we're going to make change is that groundswell of grassroots support. So ask me the question that might be offensive. Ask me the thing that you're afraid to say. Like, just say it. 
get over it hope and say it better the next time learn from that stumble that mistake because when you have the best intention people are people are there so often to be like all right you didn't do that great but let's i get what you're saying and so let's do it better here's why right maybe next time do this here read this article follow this person on twitter we like resource people to educate themselves to be better but we ha- we can't do that oh they'll never get it like that kind of throw your hands up of you're you know you're just a rookie and and you're not evolved enough to be part of the conversation is just is insane to me because we the more the merrier and we can't be just like cutting people off because they're not where we are like it sounds like you're talking to both the person who might make the mistake and saying have courage it's not gonna the world's not gonna end you'll stumble you'll fall you'll get back up again and you're also speaking to the people who might say you're an idiot you didn't catch the you didn't catch that there's 58 now and although it doesn't sound as explicit to that group, because it feels like you're describing in certain situations, the disempowered actually have a bit more power in that one situation because they can say, I'm offended. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's where you become, that's where leadership starts to me. If you want to be a, a leader, then like jumping on your soapbox and screaming at people that like speaking in your echo chamber of people that agree with you. That's not, I mean, I get it and it's important and do it, but that's not making change. Hard conversations are what make change. It's not with people that agree with you. It's with the people in the middle. So many of us exist in the middle. There's like the fringes on the outside on either side, but so many of us exist in the middle. And so that, I feel like so many times when I do talks, it's like people are, often they don't see somebody that looks like them on stage or somebody that identifies the way they do on stage. So then they expect this just like, to be patted on the back the whole time. And certainly there's some um, a little bit of commiseration about similar struggles that we've had, but at the same time, I put it on those people to bring more allies in. Don't wait for an ally to come find you. There are people that want to do it that are too scared to say something. Like you, there's action to be had on your side too. We don't just go up behind to see who's behind us and who we can bring along with us. Who's where we just were. Like we get so short-sighted when we're going down these paths of, of evolution or understanding of sustainability or marginalized groups or whatever. Like we're always looking forward, which is so important, but it wasn't that long ago that you didn't know what Kale was. Like, don't ever forget that guy. Cause there's a bunch of those guys out there and we need him too. So you got to go back and get in touch with the, you that didn't know the difference between kale and spinach and be like, what would have been helpful for me then? Not now, then. And then how can I be, uh, Mentor in that context is a little bit different, but like, how can I be a resource for that person? Because there's much more of them than you. Yeah, this sustainable life. There's a whole, there's a podcast family. So there's other hosts doing the, what I'm doing with you, but with their audience. And there's one Allison in England, and she's. I've been doing this for a while, and I talk about how it takes me two and a half years to fill up a load of garbage. It, I haven't flown since 2016, and people are like, "Josh, you're blowing people out of the water." And I'm thinking the. I wish I had role models like this before. That's what would work for me. But then I listened to her doing hers, her podcast. And she does one, she did one that really hit me where she didn't know where plastic came from. She didn't know what happened to it after she threw it away. She didn't know, didn't care. And I'm listening to it and thinking, man, I wish I'd heard this too. Sure. I would never have thought of doing that episode. And it was exactly, I was like, oh man, I got to do a bunch more of these of, of showing my ignorance. 
and or even places where I'm not ignorant now, where I where I was before, what you talked about with the kale. Because mm-hmm. I think that's important. Because I think you have to think about who's it going to resonate. I think both of those have an audience, but there are probably more people with questions of the similar to what she had, as opposed to not flying, filling up garbage like that. I appreciate both ends of the spectrum. And I think as a leader, it's our responsibility to make sure we're toggling back and forth to make it approachable for as many people as possible. If we're trying to create change, we need people to get on at whatever point they feel comfortable and then eventually get to that other point, eventually get to that. Ideally, if that's what their track is, but we're not saying your way is wrong. There's just, there's another way. Here's my way. I don't, I haven't flown since 2016. So I want to take where, what we're, where are now and make it explicitly talking about the environment. Sure. Is, is the environment something that, is it something you've at, that you act on? Is it something that matters to you? It, it is. And I would say, I think part of that is growing up, living in Colorado, Boulder specifically, that's always been really progressive in that space. Multiple farmers markets, different ways to approach that, super bicycle friendly, all of the things. I feel like that's been part of my life probably for the last 20 some years. And then it's taken on a different, a different lens maybe since I've had kids. So we have a four-year-old and a one-year-old and that has, that outlook I think has also changed the way that I see things and knowing growing up in the seventies and eighties, that wasn't something that I was aware of. There was never the conversation of, does that go in? recycling your garbage. That wasn't an option when my four-year-old was constantly like, okay, the blue bag or the white bag, right? Or does this compost? Is it compostable? What does that look like? So I would say, yes, it is important. And then also professionally, my wife is involved in that in her industry pretty significantly. So that's always constantly making me feel like I need to up level. So I, I feel like it's something that I am passionate about and have experienced, but I think like anybody, right? There's always one more thing you can do more than one, but one immediately tangible thing you could change, right? Well, I'm curious about your experience of it before the doing of, I mean, you talked about the 70s and 80s growing up. It wasn't such a big thing. Then in Boulder, it became a big thing. Is it something that you, like, you're in a community that values it. And I remember being in Boulder and and biking around. I was only there briefly. And what's your experience of it? Is it something you love? Is it something that is just there or are you... Like, does it have a, a deep meaning for you? Or No, I, I think it has a deep meaning. I remember I got my first job and it was with an event company that was involved in the natural products industry. And so I was like, you know, it's just like, it's education, I feel like in so many ways, right? Something just opens your eyes. And I remember going to a documentary screening that I like never would have happened where I grew up or even where I went to college. And it was about like cosmetics and animal welfare in cosmetics and then also like health impacts of certain things in deodorants or whatever. And like a light flipped in me and I was like, okay, I made this conscious connection to wellness in the way that I wanted to have it and what I was putting on in around my body in a way that I never had before. And it was just, it was like a documentary film and a couple articles. And I was like, Okay, here we go. This is, it's changing how I want to interact in the world. I, I think that was the path because it was always, it was happening around me, certainly in Boulder for a while, but it was something about that immediate community and being tied to it professionally where I was like, okay, this is not, it always felt so fringe. 
where I grew up. And then it, when we hear it felt mainstream. And so then you're like, all right, let me, okay, let's explore. Let's figure out more. Let's see what's going on here. I'm hearing determination and resolve and maybe responsibility. What were the emotions? Yeah, I would say there was certainly, there's always like the guilt. I, I think there's guilt that comes with it of these are the choices I've made. I think for me at least, and this isn't, but it was like a self-preservation. It was like, if aluminum in your deodorant is being linked to breast cancer, I can't, that's not a decision. It was like very focused on my wellness and the impact of those decisions on my physical wellness. I feel like that's what it was. As like, I was getting into yoga and hiking outdoors, just like all things that were Colorado. And so I was just much more conscious of that than I had ever been previously on that very direct, how does this impact me personally level? I feel like, so I think it was, and and then I think there was some guilt, a lot of times guilt associated with ignorance. Like you feel bad that you didn't know better. It seems so obvious, but you just didn't know. And so then all the preceding choices that you made based on that ignorance, you there's like a guilt around that. And I think that's part of it. And then I think it morphed a little bit more into like my, desire to support local, I think is just so rooted in my family's entrepreneurial roots. There's a piece of the farmer's market thing to me that is that more than anything else is keeping it local, but like supporting essentially like one of my kids' classmates' families. Like, I think there's something there of that is not easy work and it has value and I value that kind of work. So I think those are the transitions that I went through around it. And I think there's certain things that just become a non-negotiable anymore. And that was a lot of the like animal testing, things like that, where I was like, I can't, that's that I personally morally can't go back on that decision. Now I know that. So if I consciously decide in opposition of that, I, that just was like a non-negotiable for me. For a lot of people, they prefer to be ignorant. Ignorance is bliss. And but it sounds to me like after you went through this, is now life like you constantly have to read um, the ingredients and you have to check where things come from? Or is it because I'm reading that you like the change? Is it burdensome or is it uh, liberating or something? Or maybe I think it's, it's both. It's almost like you, for me, it feels, and I'm not, my wife is much better, especially what the kids eat. I feel like we basically shop at the, Brands that we support, I trust, which is probably ignorant to a certain extent. But I know their basic standards, but also I'm like just not a label reader. That just doesn't. I'm like the person that the like non-GMO label was made for. Because I'm like, okay, that's fine. That one's good. We got. I gotta go. I gotta, like a four-year-old that's about to wreck the place. Like we. All this has to happen faster. So I think I don't. It just. I don't even know if it. It just. It doesn't feel burdensome. Again, especially for me, like once it became like what I'm putting in my body is one thing. I think your kids like by definition are ignorant. So I think there was a responsibility there of, okay, I got, I need to do the right thing because it's the, because I have a responsibility to do what's best for the kids. And I don't fault my family for the decisions they made. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, they just didn't know. There's a piece of it to me where it's like, it's the responsibility. 
it's the responsibility of the FDA. It's the responsibility of companies to not put garbage in what they're producing and be really honest about what that is. And that just, that to me is what the shortcoming is. It's, you can't expect people to have that realm of understanding around a lot of that stuff because they're shopping based on a multitude of factors that aren't that so often what the lowest price is, right? Yeah, you're talking about places that should have take responsibility and sadly often don't. Yeah, they don't. So yeah, I don't feel like it's burdensome. I find joy and in my life, my wife's a vegetarian and there's something great about finding a meat substitute that I actually like. You know what I mean? Like grew up in Ohio and like still a meat eater. And so I think there's something in the discovery to me that's fun and exciting. I also think that, again, going back to kids, like their palates are just so different than mine was when I was a kid because of what they're they're exposed to, the amount of sugar, all the things, right? It just changes the way they see and consume the world, which I think when you start things at, you know, it, it puts them on a track that is, that was very different than mine. I want to make it a bit active here. Based on the emotions that you described of, of the responsibility, the determination that you're, you're not going to go back, and also the joy, the fun, the discovery, I invite you at your option, if you're up for it, to think of something to do to act on those things. And I was saying before, I'm not... This isn't about big or small. This is about intrinsic versus extrinsic. It's, I'm not saying to do something to fix the world because a lot of people hear that, but to expand this experience to something new. So, and so with three constraints, something you're not already doing, something you do yourself, so not delegating or getting others to do it for you, and something that ha- leaves in some measurable way, you don't have to measure it, but some non-zero way that you would feel like this leaves the world better. Yeah, I guess I would say what I've never been very good at and want to be better at eating, like eating seasonally, much better. So we in, you know, our farmer's market last weekend was the first weekend and it runs through about October ish. And I think there's so many times, especially early in the season where you go and you're just like, ah, there's like, they don't have the things that I want. I don't know how to cook turnips or what I like. That's like I, parsnips are terrible, like whatever that is. So I think that there's a piece of it. I don't know if we've always thought about like a community food share or something like that, but I feel like to be able to go to the farmer's market and buy things that are in season, early spring vegetables and incorporate those into what I'm doing. A, I think that you know, supporting the local community, expanding what I can, I love to cook, but expanding outside of that kind of comfort zone and incorporating more of those foods, I think. And then I think the trickle down of being more supportive. And then also I feel like for so many of us, we're cooking for other people. We're sharing those recipes. I feel like there's a lot of people that I know that live in seasonally affected food spaces. And so to just broaden my scope and scale on that, I I think would be something that would be a, a challenge and then add on top of that, ideally, that my kids would eat it too. I feel like there's one of the things I live by is that constraints breed creativity. And I feel like you might be tapping into that. Like force, like you wouldn't get it, but if you force yourself to, you'll have to figure something out. Yeah. And I love to cook. And also they're, nobody, they're not selling things that don't, like other people cook with them. There's this thing that's like this new 
hybrid thing nobody's ever tried. That's why they can't sell it. Like other, it is possible to make food out of whatever exists currently, whether that's like the spring lettuces, like whatever it is, it's just, it's my ability to work a little bit harder, spend a little bit more time, be willing to have a meal that goes totally south. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then just, but then they're like, okay, next time we buy parsnips, like I need to cook them twice as long, like whatever that is that. And again, I, cause I feel like, especially my kids are so open to, they'll try anything once. And so how do you know, loves cucumbers because at the farmer's market, they had the mini ones that were the crispiest things you've ever had in your entire life. And he's obsessed with cucumbers now. And we, I never would have given in that. It seemed like seem too young or whatever, but the kids will try, they'll do anything to a certain extent. So how can I, like, I'm in theory constraining them by not trying these other things. So how can I just be, how can I just take the time to be better? And I'm not saying five days a week. I'm saying like the next time I go to the farmer's market, I'll have one side dish that's made from something I've never tried before. And then we'll go with it. I feel like you're almost, are you aware how much you're taking your own advice on trying and making the mistakes? It's like perfect. Are you aware of that or was it by chance? I hope so. You try to like live those mantras, but that's the thing I feel like that's so hard. I could sit there and and tell people all day long, like, you can ask me anything. You can, it's okay to fail. Ask me about my marriage. Ask me about gender roles. Ask me about how my kid goes to school and explains the too much. Ask me and get into the nitty gritty. I can take it and let's have at it. But then to to be on the other side of that and have conversations like that around race sends me because I don't want to see, I'm an activist. I should be, I should know the right things to say. I should have these conversations. I should be able to interrupt racism when I see it with the perfect 15 second soundbite, but I can't and I don't. And do I belong in that space? I don't really know. So I, I feel like it's this constant process. It's like really easy to preach it it's significantly harder to practice it. And so I'm just trying to do it. I'm trying to do it more again, just to be an example for my kids. It's okay to, you're never going to know if you're not failing, then you're holding yourself back. Like you just, by definition. It sounds then like this, the parsnips are going to tap into or whatever. And maybe they're out of season by the time by next week, but whatever you pick up the radishes and the turnips, because that's what's here in the winter as well, in, in spring. It's, we're just starting to get the greens in now. And are you, there's an intrinsic appeal when I said, or extrinsic or automatic, because when I said act on those things that matter to you, maybe that was right there of trying new things and challenging yourself. Exactly. And that's the thing I feel like in so much of what we've talked about and, and what you talk about is like, what is within, what's a little bit of a stretch but within reach of my seat. Like, just start there. Don't start with the thing that's halfway, it's all the way across the room on the other side, up in the attic. Like, what's the thing? That's how we become more flexible. That's how we act. Because I think you get that positive feedback. So if all of a sudden I make a delicious parsnip radish casserole, then that positive feedback is going to help me continue to do one more thing. When we start to see those small things, when we start to see that we can achieve them, what I previously saw is this ceiling becomes my floor, right? That's how I up level throughout the process is by taking those tiny giant steps. Because if it was whatever, shop exclusively at the farmer's market, like it's when they're too big, they're easy to 
disregard because of all of the other factors that we have in our life. But we take those a small thing here and a small thing there, and you put a bunch of those together and you look back six months later and the change is staggering. When you're in it, it doesn't seem big. So you're saying small things, but you're saying small things that you keep at it consistently. Right. Exactly. Gonna... It's like a little, because I feel like that's the other thing. Like when you look at the chart of your progress, right? As in, in anything you're trying to be better at, better version of yourself, more sustainable, whatever. Like you want the trajectory to go like that. But if you zoom in on it, it's got to go like this. It's got to go up and down. They're the little ups and downs. It's continuously moving in that direction, but it is up and down because you have to have those misses to be able to get back up. I think there's just no way. It's like what we say to our kids or what we say to our friends, not do something because you don't think you can. The whole point is to do it to see if you can. That's the point. I also, I'm also going to add a nuance that I throw in. Others might see it as a nuance. To me, it's the whole thing. Is I, start, I didn't start by saying 100 million people in Bangladesh are going to be moved from their homes. What are you going to do about it? That would be extrinsic, unless you're Bangladesh, unless you spent time there. What I say is what matters to you. And I get out that intrinsic motivation because I believe that when it comes from inside and not, you should know this, then actually sometimes people come up with something pretty big. Like I, had a, I just got an email from a, a past guest and she said for one year, she wasn't going to buy any new clothes and she would buy a lot of clothes. And within a couple of weeks, I happened to talk to her again a month and a half into it. And she said, oh yeah, she's not only buying, not buying clothes, she's going through her closets and getting rid of clothes. And then she was going through her date book and getting rid of people like <laughs> relationships wow. she wasn't keeping current with. And yeah, so that, that was big. Actually, in the middle of that year, she got invited to give a TED Talk. And she has this whole story. And the TED Talk talks about what she wears. And her first thought was, what will I wear? And then she thought, oh, I'm not going to get anything. And she had to go to her friends and say, <laughs> what do I do? And her friends say, what's, what do you like most? What do you want to wear? What's the most, I forget, what's your favorite outfit? And in the end, by wearing her favorite outfit, she said the, what I, she wasn't worried about what will people think of what I'm wearing. She just enjoyed the experience because she could focus on. So that was, that, I just got an email from her. I love that. That's so amazing. And I feel like that goes on the same, like when it's that internal thing that motivates you, A, like that cascade effect is so, what does sustainable mean? I think once you start down that path, what does inclusion mean? You like start to go down that path and it only gets broader. It becomes more pervasive in so many parts of your life when you start that journey and you see what comes from it. It's so similar to me. If I don't want, if, if somebody's going to use the word gay in a negative way and I like come down really hard on them and tell them why they're wrong and ignorant and homophobic and all of the things, right? Like I can do that in my perfect packaged way to do that. But that's not going to change their behavior. That's going to make them not say those things in front of me. If I really want them to change their behavior, I tell them how it makes me feel when they say those things. Certainly more vulnerable, higher risk, but also then they know. Then it's like that burden is off of my shoulders because now they know. If they want to change their behavior, that's fine. If they want to continue their behavior, they know the effect. That's also fine. But now it's on them, not on me. So I think it's that same thing of that internal of, I don't want you to change it because I told you to change it. I don't want you to change the way you exist in the world because I told you to do it differently. It's because you want to do it differently for whatever reason motivates you. You said a couple of things and I want to comment on all of it. At the beginning, you talked about how it opens up. And when people often describe 
mind not flying is restrictive, but it's already opened up for me. I don't think it's restrictive because I'm exploring all the different ways to travel that aren't flying. And I see a whole world of sailing and biking, bike camping ahead of me that actually I used to bike camp before and I haven't done it for decades. And I just bought this tent off of, used off a of Craigslist and I'm excited to do it. And so when they say, oh, all these restrictions of yours, I'm like, I have to go where they are. It's effort to get there. And I don't think of myself as extreme. I think of myself, I think of, I used to be extreme when I polluted a lot more and I still pollute plenty. I'm not living sustainably, but I'm more sustainable than before. But before was super, living unsustainably was that's aberrant for most human, most humans never polluted. Exactly. There was nothing, they couldn't for most of human history. Would you be interested? Would you be game to come back and share what your experience was like? Absolutely, I would be excited. Awesome. And then the how long would it take for you to do? If I ask you how did it go, do you have a meaningful answer? Yeah, let's see. Well, I will. I think knowing my cooking ability, I'm going to need a couple. I'll need a couple rounds. But farmers markets tomorrow, so I feel like that'll be that'll be one of my tasks is to go in and and figure it out. And again, it's that's. The other thing about behavioral change, I feel like that's important. It's like, I can do it tomorrow. Boom, boom, boom. I made a parsnip salad and that's over. But like, then do I go back the next, then do I go back the following Saturday and the following Saturday? Like, does it become a pattern? Does it be, now that I have to do it every week, but does it become a behavioral pattern that I make an individual commitment that every time we go to the farmer's market, even if it's just for exploration, I'm going to buy something I've never seen before. So I feel like a month and then I could give you, then it's a practice. That's like a different, it's like a different, there's like the experience and then there's like the repetitiveness enough for it to be, at least feel like the start of a practice or a behavioral change. So yeah, I, I like a month or six weeks, I would say. Okay. I propose after we stop recording, but before we hang up, we'll get out the calendars and, and schedule. Yeah. Oh, sounds great. I love You're making it. me hungry too. I, maybe for the second, I but not the first. I actually, I'm curious about the first one too. I know. Well, I'm going to do the, uh, I'm gonna, uh, now I'm going to take pictures and, and then do those deep dives and to, and I could look at like recipes all day long. It's so funny. Now that you say it, it's like, why, what's been hold, like, what, why haven't I done that? You know what I mean? I feel like same thing though. We are humans that get in patterns and patterns are easy and efficient. And so we stay in those patterns. And I think we also, you get to like, well, I'm doing it. Like I'm doing enough. I'm like, I take my bags to the grocery store and we don't use straw it is a point of like it, more than i'm doing is too hard so what i'm doing is enough and so i think it's that constant reevaluation of like all right let's like see how this goes and this might not be my answer my hope would be that it leads me to a different opportunity for behavioral change the way that you're talking right now i'm getting get ahead of myself and this is more for next week's talk but i believe that someday i'll have the ceo of chevron on the podcast. And I guarantee that this person has had meaningful experiences with the environment and is in the cycle that you're talking about or some version of it, of I'm doing what I can or something like that. And even if that person believes burning fossil fuels is good, and there's definitely people out there like that, this person doesn't want mercury in the fish or there's something. And I know that they, protest is very important, but also a hand up Going where they are 
is this, so this is you know the strategy of another reason for working with leaders is they have the biggest they allow themselves to be most vulnerable they've made the mistakes they've not died and realized it's they can be vulnerable also they can be very influential they can be big role models of which we don't have many acting remotely sustainably yeah absolutely i think it reminds me of this i had a friend of mine who was a trans student in utah and uh, utah was going to pass a bathroom bill and so the trans student and their parent um, were going to talk to their congressman or their uh, state representative about it. And they had the lobbyist activist that was with them. And they were everybody so nervous. What are we going to say? And how am I going to get this conservative person from my district to vote against this bill? And the activist was like, that's not the point. You don't have to get them to change their mind. You have to get them to doubt the certainty of their position just a little bit. That's all you have to do. So if we like see... If we see in these interactions, like just you're saying, like they, you don't have to get them to completely change their mind. They don't need to resign as CEO of Chevron. They just need to make their in their they need to doubt what they think enough to change their behavior to make a greater impact in the way that you want. That's what we try to get our leaders to do. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that makes my job easier. <laughs> I also want to keep the community growing so that they will have the effect of what we talked about before of the continuous change, not just stop at one place, destabilize them a bit or get them thinking, get, get them acting on intrinsic, on what's inside, on their heartfelt, meaningful meaning. Mm -hmm. Then I think it's almost automatic that they'll keep going. Yeah, because they like progress. People like movement. Like when it goes, it's like an object of rest stays like at rest, an object of motion stays in motion. Once it's rolling, it just keeps rolling. It's once it stops again that you got to start it again. That's the hard part. Well, this is exciting because now food was my big entree no pun intended, into acting sustainably. And you're ahead of where I was, and I'm curious where things go. I propose picking up here in a month to six weeks. Yeah, I love it. Is there anything I didn't think to ask before wrapping up this time? No, that's good. It's, I, I think we, we got it all. It was a fun conversation. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> but Ash Beckham, thank you very much. Absolutely, Josh. It was a pleasure. Thanks for everything you do. It's amazing. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.